It's time for the Daily Stand-Up Podcast presented by Agile Dad with your host, Lee Henson. Without any further ado, let's get started. There were a series of recent articles written about Agile anti-patterns, and I thought that was rather interesting, and I just started digging through and reading them, so I guess I'm not reading them in order, so I apologize for that. But the first one I wanted to talk about was one about budgeting time. Now, this article starts out, those of us who've worked in lots of different companies and teams have probably heard these common questions during our sprint planning meeting. How much of our time or what percentage of our time should we allocate to bugs? How much time should we reserve for production release support? How much time should we block out for an unexpected A, B, or C scenario? And it's no surprise that the team is genuinely trying to figure out what it can tackle in the next cycle. Often a team comes out with some marginal answers like, 10% must always be dedicated to technical debt or leave 15% room for bugs or make sure that X percent is reserved to help other teams. These scenarios are endless and all of these are anti-patterns, which we will cover. Okay, let's pause there for a second. The big problem that I see here is a word that was used, oh my goodness, at least three or four times. And the word is time. If you're constantly tying everything back to time, you're already hitting the anti-pattern. The truth is, every single individual on a team has different levels of experience, different tools, different uh, different definitions in their mind of what completion looks like or appears like. And it's not that you don't have a strong definition of done or strong acceptance criteria. It's just that sometimes the acceptance criteria, even produced if it's the best it can be, leaves room for interpretation. So people who come from different walks of life, different companies who are able to interpret these things differently, they aren't going to do the same job. They may do more than what you expect or less than what you expect. It's just really interesting. So for me, you know, the other thing I want to point out is that sometimes when you tell people dedicate 10% of your time to this or 15% of your time to this, nobody takes into account that at a two week sprint, there's only nine working days and that each person on the team works an average of 5.896 hours a day. By the time you do all the math and carry one and multiply things out, you're going to quickly discover that this dedicate so much time thing doesn't work. Cause there's no one that sits there with a stopwatch and a second it goes, they shut down bugs and go work on something else. People just don't work that way. Their mind doesn't compute that way. So I hope that we'll identify some of these behaviors and how they need to be addressed. Right? Because I really do believe that this is an incorrect way to use time to track how much work you're doing. Okay. Let's see where they go. So I start off with the topic called velocity-driven teams. Scrum teams attempt to figure out how much work the team is able to do or reasonably tackle during each sprint. Because the team aims to maintain a healthy velocity, consistency of amount of work that can be delivered per sprint, the focus is often is set on handling distractions, things the team have to, has to handle that are not part of the planned amount of work. This results in a discussion uh, what is called the team's time budgeting policies, or what some call story point capacity. Okay, let's stop there. I, I don't ever budget team time for interruptions. Never. Never. Now, do team interruptions happen? Of course they do. But I address those using the Team John principle, where we take a reasonably sized team, 
rotate one person off to work together with the scrum master to handle all those inbound interruptions. And if there are no interruptions, this person can focus on personal growth. If there are interruptions, this person can dive right back in and take care of whatever the interruptions are, you know, or assist in taking care or, or assist in preparing so that we can take care of the interruptions the first thing in the next sprint. The point I'm trying to make is trying to budget is already the mistake, right? So the, the author goes on to say, all this seems reasonable when thinking about team solutioning the problem. But before we dive into the abyss of wrongful thinking, let's define a problem the team's trying to solve. Number one, how can a team deliver a consistent and predictable amount of work in light of unplanned events or unknown events that may occur during a fixed period of time? And number two, how can a team continue to make progress on feature work to satisfy set goals without losing sight of the need to meet quality standards by addressing bug support issues or tackling some technical debt? There we go again. If you reread the problem statement and give it deep thought, a eureka moment will happen. We're thinking about it all wrong. We're focusing on consistent volume of work delivered instead of the bigger picture, which is meeting the goals. Okay. I may end up having to stop reading this article because <laughs> every few seconds I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't like that. I think here we should be focused on having a consistent volume of work delivered. And even if that consistent volume of work is lower than what the capacity might allow, I'm okay with that. But I think the team needs to get in the habit of having an established velocity and doing what they say and saying what they do. This is how we enforce accountability, and this is how we enforce predictability. There are many trainers or coaches or other people who try to stray away from this and go down this path that the author is going down, where, you know, oh, we're just focused on a goal, man. We're not focused on it. And while that sounds so great and kumbaya and everybody's happy about it because, you know, the goal incorporates interruptions or whatnot, it doesn't leave margin of error for leadership and other people who are looking and saying, hey, I need predictability. I need to know what's happening, right? And I think that is the piece that's missing. So when you realize it's much easier to create blanket policy of X percentage must be going towards Y, than to thoroughly prioritize backlog items towards a quality sprint goal. The reason for this is that most teams simply have no ability to understand what's in the backlog. Okay. <laughs> I said I was going to stop, but yet I keep reading. Teams struggle to do what's in the backlog because product owners don't take the time to work with various analysts, business analysts, functional analysts, technical analysts, marketing analysts, whoever it might be, to break down the work into something that's bite-sized, consumable, and makes sense. I think that if you try to do this all on your own, this very well may be an article that was written by a product owner who is trying to gain back coverage or leverage, but not able to get the teams to understand because they, they're, they're trying to do it all themselves, right? And then they talk about visibility and visualization challenges. What made things worse is tool like Jira partially responsible. They make it too easy to build out and keep long, unusable backlog. And they make prioritization not only painful, but frequently and utterly impossible. Scrum boards struggle with this as well as they limit the viewport to only what fits on a screen by making it hard to see what's ahead or far below. I'm going to argue tools for virtualization like Jira or even Miro or Mural are powerful tools if you use them correctly. 
there's no rule saying you can't filter and only show what's coming up in the current release and the next release. There's no rule saying that you can't adjust the threshold of what you can see. But I also want to emphasize there's no rule saying that a product owner shouldn't be able to keep all of their wish list items or consideration items in a separate backlog so that it doesn't clutter the actual backlog. I think that if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you go down that path, that that's going to help you really see the desired amount of work. And it's going to help the team be able to focus on what's coming up in the near term, the near future. And it's going to help them uh, really get their head around the work that they're doing now and what's coming next. So here we go. Aha. It says um, to have the desired level of visualization allowing the teams to comprehend what's in the backlog requires custom views to be created. That's what I just now said. So these custom views are needed for just one purpose, to have the ability to see a list of top stories, highest priority bugs that have been queued up, and any type of technical debt. I usually reserve a whole technical debt sprint. We can talk about that on a separate occasion. Setting up these views individually for every team uh, is something most teams just don't do. And even if they do exist, they're most likely are severely underutilized if utilized at all. I disagree. Once again, uh, you know, I have no problem setting these things up in Jira or having my team set them up and we, we get through them. So here's a quick test. How many bugs are there in a team backlog? Which three bugs are most important or most painful? How many technical debt items are okay? If you start going down this path, you're going to wind up not being able to commit to features and you're going to delay feature delivery. So it's so important. If you haven't already done this, I encourage you to go over to the document section on Agile Dad and read about Team John and read about how to handle sprint interruptions. And then you can also read the seven deadly sins of technical debt and learn how to handle technical debt. If you have a separate technical debt sprint that once per quarter addresses the top 10 items of technical debt, if you have someone on Team John that rotates off and takes care of these issues before they become a bigger issue so that the main core team can focus on the commitments that were made to deliver a strong product or service, that's going to help us maintain a consistent velocity, still work on a debt accordingly, and set expectations for leadership and others of how we're going to handle inbound interruptions and debt. And I think that's the key. I think the key is... You know, this person goes down to decrypting story points and they go back to percentages and it's unfortunate, but there are actually a lot of coaches and training organizations that really don't have their head around how story points should work and they don't have their head around how to build a solid technical debt sprint once per quarter and how to determine whether something should be known but not resolved and archived or whether something belongs in that backlog of risk or that backlog of bugs or defects. And the truth is a defect or a bug is just another type of story. So if you treat it as such, stories enter the sprint that are sized and they get worked on just like everything else as needed. And if it's not something critical, it can hold off and either become part of the technical debt sprint or deemed as unimportant. That's gonna do it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a topic you want us to cover, uh, learn more at AgileDad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, we encourage you to stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Until next time, do take care. 